Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. And before we start talking to our guest, we need your help. What topics or experts would you like to hear on the Psych Central Show? Doesn't matter if we've done it before. We can do it again. Just give us an email at show at psychcentral.com. We look forward to hearing from everybody. With us this week is the author of the book Stonewall Strong by John Manuel Andriot. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. Look at that. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Doing well, thanks. Before we get started, let's talk about your book, Stonewall Strong. Without just reading us the back, what is the book about? Well, the book is about gay men's heroic fight for resilience, good health, and a strong community. That's the subtitle, and it pretty much sums up the, the book. Now, many people aren't familiar with the reference Stonewall, and many people are. But for those who may not be, can you fill us in on the title of the book, please? Yeah, I chose the title Stonewall Strong as a double entendre. Uh, the Stonewall riots in 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in New York that launched the modern LGBT equality movement. And then also as a New Englander, for me, stone walls in New England, part of our archaeological heritage here, also symbolize resilience. So it was a political reference, but it was also a reference to the, the Yankee uh, heritage. Of course, there's another definition of stone wall, which means to delay something, to put up roadblocks. Yes. We won't go into that one. <laughs> Let's not apply that one to your book. <laughs> well, but in fairness, it, it does hold up. I mean, in order to live the life that we all want to live, we have to stop the people that are trying to prevent us from it. And unfortunately, as the LGBTQ movement knows, there's a lot of people that just aren't obeying the live and let live mantra that, well, we really probably should be striving to live by. And, and that has caused your community untold mental health and psychological issues, not to mention... In, in, in some cases, you know, physical issues. Yes, it, it's true. It's a well-documented fact that many people do not like gay lesbian people. And was this part of the reason that you wrote the book? What do you hope that this book accomplishes for your community and for the greater community for that matter? Well, what I really want the book to accomplish is to remind gay men and other LGBT folks that we really are very resilient given all of the trauma that we experience in our lives starting in our childhood simply for being different. I'd like to educate others outside of our community as to what we know about being heroic and being courageous and resilient. When you say resilient, John, what does that really mean for you as, as a gay man? Well, what it means is the ability to bounce back to traumatic experiences. Uh, if you think of a, a willow tree that bends in the in the wind and in the rain, rather than an oak tree which kind of stands firmly in place, that when we are able to approach the winds and rains of our lives with resilience, it means that they they bend us but they don't break us because we're able to to bounce back. It doesn't always happen instantly. In fact, it rarely happens instantly. But over time, we have the ability to reframe the, the meaning and significance of our traumatic experiences in a way that they don't define us. We don't let them mean that we're weak, that we are 
uh, victims, but that we are strong and that we bounce back from difficult experiences. I think that bouncing back from difficult experiences is something that is relatable to everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly not the same as, as your movement. All movements have sort of cropped up because of some sort of external force pushing down on people who are just trying to get by. The question that I have for you is, if somebody is not a member of the LGBT community, is this a good read for them? Or is it really just meant for your community? No, it's not just meant for my community at all which is a reason why Roman and Littlefield, a mainstream book publisher, chose to publish the book. What I've been able to do is take the experiences of gay men, and I focused on gay men in particular, and present them, showcase stories of nearly 100 individuals, as well as my story, which comprises the first 10 chapters of the book, first part of the four-part book, in a way that really kind of pulls the lessons in resilience out for others to see. Many, many gay men and LGBT folks also aren't really aware until it's brought to their attention that they really are uh, courageous, that they really are resilient, and they have to be in order to to survive to adulthood. It's also a book for non-LGBT people because, in my view, and the reason I've reported on LGBT issues and HIV AIDS for over 30 years is because I've always believed that our stories are as legitimate and interesting and valuable as any other story of any other human being. Can you give us some background on your story? Yeah, well, the book pivots off of my 2005 HIV diagnosis. At that point, I was living in Washington, D.C. as a reporter writing on health and medical issues for the Washington Post and, and others, and had been reporting on HIV AIDS for 20 years as an HIV negative gay man. Uh, that was significant because I was HIV negative while I was witnessing the death and serious illness of so many of my friends, people in my community, and watching the issue, political and, and medical, of AIDS explode across the world. So the book opens with kind of a repurposed version of my 2006 HIV coming out story, as I call it, for the Washington Post. And then I go into my background, looking, looking at the things in my life that brought me to that moment, not just the traumas in my life that brought me to this supremely traumatic experience of a serious medical diagnosis, But beyond that, the things that had given me the ability to believe that in the face of this trauma, I would survive, that somehow I would pull through and I would be okay. And so I I didn't want to dwell only on the traumas that had led to this moment of diagnosis, but I was more interested in pulling from my experience what it was that led me to become a resilient man and why I could feel fairly confident that somehow I would be able to meet this this huge challenge. So that's kind of the springboard, uh, the first part of the book. And then from there, I look at what I call the heroic legacy. I look at historic moments of the LGBT movement over the last century 
And I frame them as experiences of resilience. So rather than looking at the usual way of how we've been victimized by society, I look instead at how we've survived and how we've managed to thrive in spite of the trauma inflicted upon us. And then in the rest of the book, I look at stories of men, all sorts of men. I mean, from a famous drag queen in Washington, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Donnell Robinson, up to Bishop Eugene Robinson, the first openly gay bishop of the Episcopal Church. So there's really a range of, of people whose stories I share in the book. But again, I look at their stories framed through the lens of resilience and how they were able to meet really severe challenges in their own lives. When I look back on my own life, I too want to you know, take the traumatic things that happened to me and, and repurpose them, uh, for lack of a better word, as moments where Gabe survived. But I know speaking just for myself, that's that's so hard. You know, when I was fired from my job, I, I did get another job and my career is doing great. And, you know, now I'm a speaker and that's, it did turn out okay. But still, even sitting here, I have a hard time looking at that moment and not seeing it as a negative, as a trauma. I'd like to pat myself on the back because I got through it. But in actuality, I'm still very angry that I was tossed aside What's interesting to me is how you've been able to do that. Can you talk about how you did it? Because if I were you, I would just be angry. And you're not, which is encouraging and interesting for somebody like me. It really comes down to how we frame our story. Literally, the, the words and the language that we use in telling our story to ourselves, you know, in, in our self-talk, in our own minds. And if we say to ourselves, gee, you know, I, I really am a victim. Life's unfair. Things have really been bad for me and everything is against me. Well, I think if we have that mindset, then it's a recipe for depression and feeling defeated and feeling very negative and angry. But if instead we tell ourselves, wow, look at these really challenging experiences that I survived and I'm still here. I always think of Shirley MacLaine singing, I'm still here. I've been kicked around and have had really difficult challenges in my life, but I've managed to pull myself up and carry on. And how did I do that? It's sort of teasing out lessons in how to live with a more resilient attitude that is kind of the root of my Psychology Today blog, which is also called uh, Stonewall Strong. Would you say, though, that approaching your life with that kind of an attitude, is that like looking at life through rose-colored glasses? Uh, is it is it really healthy or is it unrealistic in some ways? No, it's not rose-colored glasses at all. I, I would say it's quite the opposite. It's looking at it through glasses that see clearly, but that use literally different words and language. And as a writer, I guess, you know, I sort of focus on the words and language in the stories that we tell, because how we think about something really determines how we feel about it. And the message we give ourselves really determines our, our attitude. So it's very realistic, but it's really in the lens that we use to look at our experience. Either we're victims or we're survivors. Either we are victims or we're heroes of our story. And I choose 
and encourage other people to be the heroes of their story and not the the put-upon victim. I very much like that because it's very easy to get bogged down in the, oh, woe is me. I have a friend that once sat me down when I was complaining about being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and how tough it is. Uh, she said to me, I'm going to clean it up a little, but she said, look, God screwed you, but you just can't sit there and decide that the rest of your life is over because you have this illness. You have to fight. You have more to do. Uh, she mixed in a lot of swear words, but I, I assure <laughs> everybody that it was very, very inspiring. But in her own way, that's what she was saying. She was saying that I have the choice to be a victim, which is what I very much wanted to be, or I could rise up and be a hero, which I very much thought was impossible. And that's the basis of my next question. A lot of people are very angry at how they are being treated. The LGBTQ community has... It's endured a lot and is currently enduring a lot. How can you put aside that anger? You know, one of the things you said is that you're a writer and I, you know, I'm a writer, Vin's a writer. It gives us the ability to choose our words and frame things in a way that's best for the story, etc. But your raw emotions, what pops into your head and comes out of your mouth instantly are often different. Well, I, I want to be clear that I didn't say that I don't feel angry about injustice and unfairness that I and other LGBT people experience. I, I don't think these are mutually exclusive, that being angry and being resilient aren't mutually exclusive. I like that a lot. Thank you. You know, it's possible a, a therapist of mine years ago told me to use that anger, you know, use it constructively. Don't just be consumed by anger because then you're just an angry, bitter person, and no one wants to be around an angry, bitter person. But if you're a resilient person who says, you know, I've survived this stuff, I, I have strength, I have courage, and I've demonstrated it, and these people who are now attacking us are just the latest crop of hateful people. And so I, I can certainly feel angry about it, except my anger is not going to be the thing that defines me, um, it, it's also the anger is coming from a place of strength and saying, I'm better than this. I deserve better than this. If I felt that I deserved to be mistreated and if I only deserved injustice, then I wouldn't be angry. But it's because I'm resilient and because I'm strong and because I know what my community has survived that I'm able to stand up and defend that and to speak from a place of pride and confidence, not apologizing for being a gay man. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash psych central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. Betterhelp.com forward slash psych central. Switching tracks just a little bit, I'm I'm curious, do you think that there are any specific issues with mental illness in the LGBTQ community that wouldn't exist outside of that community? Well, it's, you know, in the, the literature, the research literature, it's pretty clear that gay men experience depression, uh, anxiety, 
you know, at a higher proportion than heterosexual men. But then if you think about the way that gay men are bullied from the time that we're boys, often by our own fathers. So from the time that we're little kids, we're given messages that there's something wrong with us because we're different, um, because we gay men don't tend to be violent, um, don't tend to be aggressive in the ways that are encouraged among boys generally. Um, and so it's not a surprise at all that there are higher rates of mental illness, mental challenges among gay men. What's really surprising, and this is something that actually is one of the things that got me interested in writing Stonewall Strong, is that also in the research, uh, particularly the research of Dr. Ron Stahl at the University of Pittsburgh, what he found, the real surprise is not the disproportionate rate of mental illness uh, among gay men, but the high proportion of resilience. The fact that we do experience so much trauma, and yet the percentage of men who act out in ways that are harmful to themselves relative to the rate of mental illness, especially depression, um, anxiety, partner violence, childhood sexual abuse. I mean, it's shocking at Harvard who find that half of gay men are sexually abused as children and even higher rates among African-American and Latino gay men. When you face such odds, the surprising thing is that any of us live to adulthood and that we manage to have successful lives and relationships with the odds stacked against us. That, that's the real surprise. I want to give the listeners a little behind the scenes of the Psych Central Show podcast for a moment. We have a lot of great guests and, and choosing guests is always very, very difficult. And one of the ways that we do it is we get things called press kits and press packs. And they have questions that we can ask in bios and things like that. And, you know, normally we look through them and that's how we choose our questions. Your kit, John, has a question that I want to ask verbatim. <laughs> I, I don't want to change it in any way. I, I'm going to ask it exactly how it is. Uh, you know, please don't just read your answer off the press kit. <laughs> but I, I love this. And this doesn't happen very often, but I'm going to ask it right now. Okay. How do you manage to write about something as heavy as AIDS, as light as disco and dance music, <laughs> as sweet and innocent as a children's book about a runaway cow, and now a book about gay men's resilience? <laughs> that, that is a good question. And many people have asked me that. You know, my answer is partly that I just have a voracious intellect. You know, I, I love learning things and exploring things that pique my curiosity. The other part of it is that I've been able to write about something as serious and heavy as HIV AIDS. And then the, the book I followed up, my AIDS history, Victory Deferred, the next book after that I wrote was called Hot Stuff, A Brief History of Disco. And people said, you know, AIDS, disco. And of course, some people make the association that AIDS kind of emerged from the disco era and they peg it on the disco scene, but I framed it in a whole different way. In the 70s, disco music really took off when it did because it was a really difficult and challenging decade. There were a lot of terrible things happening. I mean, Watergate, Vietnam, stagflation, double-digit inflation, gas lines. It was a really trying time of the American soul. 
And just as during the Great Depression, you know, faster styles of jazz music became popular, it seems that people have a need when things are difficult, when times are hard, to just kind of cut loose and escape in dance and music. And so I understood that. So it wasn't unusual at all for me to zig from one to and zag to the other. Wilhelmina Goes Wandering, my children's book, is based on the story, true story of a runaway cow here in Connecticut. And reading over the course of a few months in the local paper about this runaway cow in Milford, Connecticut, and how she was seen around the area hanging out with a herd of deer for five months. And I, something about that story just really struck me. And I started clipping these little articles because I said, you know, how is it that these two different animal species uh, were able to communicate with, with each other? How did they understand each other so that the cow and the deer felt safe with, with one another? And so it was very much the journalist in me that was captivated by this true story. And then I let my imagination kind of fill in the blanks and, and created the dialogue and the conversation. And actually, that book became my best loved. I mean, I love Wilhelmina Goes Wandering most of the books that I've written because it really came from a place of real personal truth, you know, about the, the tagline that I used in the promotional materials for that book was sometimes we have to leave our familiar pasture to find our true home. And that's a very adult theme. You know, many adults know what that feels like to have, have left your family, your hometown, everything familiar to you to go off and find yourself and to find the place where you belong and where your real home is, where you really fit. So all these books and all these things I write really come out of the same sensibility, the same heart and mind. It's just that I apply my heart and mind to these different subjects that are all equally interesting to me. <laughs> I can totally relate with you there on that one, John. As a writer myself, my brain is all over the place. And I do a lot of research, even though I write fiction. And, and it's it's always astounding to me how how broad things go because, you know, you're, you're researching one thing and then you get led off into another. It's, you know, kind of like going on the internet, I guess. So <laughs> when you were writing this book, what were some of the surprising things that, that you learned? When I was writing Stonewall Strong, I mean, some of the surprising things were just the struggles that people, some of them, you know, highly visible public figures like retired Congressman Barney Frank struggled with in, in their, their personal lives. Barney talked with me about what it was like before he came out as a gay man, you know, while he was very public as a member of Congress and his sort of before and after story and how different and better his life was after he came out and didn't have to expend the energy to stay hidden in a, in a closet. So that was surprising, you know, to speak to someone who's as public as Barney Frank uh, about something as personal as his tendency to eat and, and gain weight when he was feeling really stressed about being in the closet. And I remember seeing him in Washington. I, I lived in Washington for 22 years. And I would see Barney around, and it was, it was a visible change after he came out publicly as a gay man. 
that he he trimmed down. He he just looked like someone who was happier and at peace with himself. That's one example of a surprise. Uh, I mean, Larry Kramer, who's very famous for being outspoken and loud and demanding and angry. But yet in the interviews that I've done with Larry over the years, I've only actually interviewed him three times uh, over the last 30 years. And uh, each time has been at his apartment in, in New York. And he's always struck me as just such a gentle man, just very tender in the way he speaks about his partner and how thrilled he is to be loved and to have found love late in his life. He's now 80, 81, 82 years old. But when I asked Larry Kramer, what would an 80-year-old Larry Kramer say to a 40-year-old Larry Kramer if he walked in the room? And he said that he realized that being a gay man was the most important thing in his life. And that's a man who attempted to kill himself when he was at Yale in, in 1953 because he felt so all alone. So there are surprising things when you talk with very public people about their private experiences. And it's really, it's really eye-opening to, to see that. Let's talk about the future. What do you hope for the future? Where do we go from here as a society and in the LGBTQ community? Where do you want us to head? What I hope is that in the future, after we get past the hopefully temporary bump that we are experiencing right now, politically and socially, that we can resume our evolution toward becoming a more compassionate society and embracing the diversity of our people. You know, I really believe that our diversity is our strength. I mean, e pluribus unum, from many, one. And it's the many operating as one that really gives us our strength. And when we divide, we only hurt ourselves. As Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. And I feel as though we're very divided right now. And I'd like to see us, again, embrace the, the diversity of our country, of our humanity, so that LGBT people and African-American, Latino, Asian, you know, whatever the thing is that makes us distinctive and different from whoever it is measuring us, <laughs> um, that instead of that being seen as a negative, that it will be embraced and celebrated. And uh, that's what I would love to see is where we celebrate our differences and, and not just take note of them or not attach negative meaning to them. Well, we enjoyed talking to you, John. John, of course, is the author of Stonewall Strong, which is available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. So, John, we appreciate you coming on. Do you have a personal website that we can direct people to? I do. It's J-M-A-N-D-R-I-O-T-E. JMAndriot.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psych central. We will see everyone next week. Thank you for listening to the psych central show. Please rate review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. 
PsychCentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.